Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week, four to six of us get together and discuss a movie. At the end of the episode, we announce the movie for the following week. All movies are available from streaming services, either as part of your subscription or to rent. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. This is the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I'm joined by Brooke Merritt. Hello. Nathan McKinney. Hello there. And Josh Dean. Hi. And on today's show, we're discussing the movie The Way, Way Back. But first, we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately. Um, Still sequestered here in Kansas uh, with nothing else to do but watch lots and lots of TV and movies. Um, I decided what the hell i'm gonna watch the wire all the way through again nice and (laughs) uh for one thing for people that don't uh have it hbo is offering a bunch of their stuff for free including the wire the sopranos barry veep all that stuff you can just watch on their website for free and the wire is also uh highly upgraded from the last time I watched it. The last time I watched it, I think it was on DVD in 4.3, and it looked like trash because they shot it in 2002. And now it's all full 16 by 9 HD, and it looks as sharp as something that HBO shot this year. So, Oh, that's nice. You miss half the jokes like you do on The Simpsons? <laughs> miss half the jokes? Yeah. <laughs> the wire is hilarious, so it's known for it. <laughs> I've still been waiting for Disney Plus to uh, fix their aspect ratio bullshit on uh, Simpsons. So, oh, HBO is not like cutting things off. Oh, then how are they doing it? The, the I mean, the movie was the thing was originally shot on film, so they have the extra okay. space outside of the frame to give you. So you could literally draw Ooh. giant black bars on your screen and cover up that part of the screen, and you still get the show. But that extra information is there. Yeah, there were a lot of shows from that era that that sort of did that when they switched over to HD. Um, some of the funnier ones are ones where like there's still like crew and equipment and obvious stuff in those scenes. Um, if you watch like the sixteen by nine versions of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, it's an absolute mess. It's like <laughs> there's always like cameramen and and boom operators and all kinds of shit going on over there well that show i mean i i remember watching that not that long ago and actually buffy the vampire slayer like i guess because it was just like a network television show and they didn't have to worry about it too much for the resolution you can tell like whoever was focusing the the projector i mean there was a lot of like actors way out of focus but the background was way in focus it was all through the whole series. It was it was kind of annoying to watch, but well, it was the CW. Um, yeah, that's yeah. what I was trying to remember. What network <laughs> yeah. was on, or like the WB or something? Wasn't the WB it? or something. Yeah, it was a terrible. In network. fact, didn't it, it like didn't it switch show. networks halfway? Yeah, it did it switch did. halfway. I think. Yep. Yeah, that's what yep. I thought. I went it WB off to CW, <laughs> so it didn't didn't really upgrade much. Yep. Star Trek, uh, Star Trek: The Next Generation suffers from the same shit. Like, if you look at it too closely, half the characters are out of focus. Yeah, yeah, you just never knew back then on 
four by three, 480i televisions. Everything just completely looked like trash. Um, <laughs> trying to think if there's anything else major that I've been uh, watching. Um, I caught up on Better Call Saul, um, which I can't talk about at all. And <laughs> please do not. Really, that's about it. I hadn't really sunk in any more uh, any more trash. Just been watching the wire and trying to keep my kids from eating everything in the house. What about you guys? Well, I've uh I've I got behind the uh HBO thing. I finally figured out um I've got Roku, so you can't use HBO Go and you can't use HBO Now. You have to go through the Roku app to get all the free stuff, which took me a while. Um but I watched McMillions in its entirety um, over the weekend, and uh, what'd you think? Uh, it got a little soggy in the middle with um, a lot of the uh, like you know winners, quote unquote, um, being profiled. Uh, but my hometown newspaper, Greenville News, pops up in it towards the end, and um, yeah. a lot of the stuff takes place in South Carolina. So I was like, oh, I know that backwoods. You know, uh, yeah, McDonald's. Yeah. So, yeah, I know, feel like it it just, that's one of those that just ends. Like it yeah. starts off strong, and then it's just like, eh, we're done. Yeah. Right, and it kind of tries to hand wave that with like, well, nine eleven happened, so we couldn't really have a good <laughs> ending. And I was like, yeah, all right, but still. Uh, I rewatched Ozark. Uh, started from the beginning. I had watched the first two seasons with season three coming out. I decided to start from the beginning. Um, strong, solid third season. I was pleased with that. Uh, yeah. Usually that's when things start tanking. I thought it's really holding up well into th- three seasons. Uh, I did a rewatch of an old comedy, uh, Party Down, that was on Stars. Oh. I don't know if anybody remembers that or watched it. I love that show, yeah. Underrated, underrated comedy. Mm-hmm. I, one time I got to talk to Ken Marino on the phone and I told him Ron Donald was maybe the greatest comedic character I had seen. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. He was, was very a good, gracious. Good comic rewatch. A lot of, you know, people who went on to become pretty big names made little appearances in Party Down. So it was a good, good happy rewatch. I also, uh, film-wise, I watched Contagion and Outbreak because mm-hmm. I'm an idiot. So, I mean, why not? So I just kind of threw those in just for, you know, for good times. So Because you don't yeah. get Fox News or what? <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, just for fun, just for fun. But yeah, that's about it. Yeah, nice. why not? Good, good happy movies. Well, I listened to uh, the Conan O'Brien Needs a Friend episode with Ali Wong and enjoyed it so much that I decided to go ahead and finally get around to watching Baby Shark. Uh, her stand-up special, which yeah. was pretty damn funny. Uh, enjoyed her stuff. I, that Conan O'Brien needs a friend. If you haven't had a chance to listen to it, it's it's nice because it kind of forces him to chill out just a little bit for even just five minutes of one of those episodes and actually just be a person because he's always so on on his regular TV show. Yeah, have you ever um, seen Serious Jibber Jabber with Conan O'Brien? No. 
It's a YouTube series. It's not very long. There's only about five episodes of it. But it's yeah. him with him doing long form in- interviews, and he interviews the um, season one writers' room of The Simpsons and Jack White and a bunch of other people, and it, it's really solid. Yeah, yeah, I, I'll have to check that one out. Um, I've you know I've been kind of just dancing around episode to episode on the, uh, the Needs a Friend podcast, but. I haven't heard a bad one yet. Uh, the my, I think my favorite one is probably the Jeff Goldblum one, though. Yeah, just just the two of them doing their their shtick on the air for an hour was totally golden. So pure Goldblum, pure golden. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other thing, honestly, that we've been watching is we've started in on this most recent season of Top Chef, which. I've been kind of out down and out with Top Chef for several seasons now. I think I watched it way back in the day and Yeah. It's it's pretty good still. I I'm enjoying it. I've watched every season, so I fully support that. <laughs> I'm a sucker for a cooking reality show cuz I can't cook, so I just live vicariously through, but yeah, it's a good all-star yeah. season. Big fan. Yep. All right, how about Kitchen Nightmares? Oh. You haven't watched that one? Oh, is that the Gordon Ramsay one? Yeah, that one's those are super fun. <laughs> Gordon Ramsay screaming. Yeah. Well, there's awesome. Hell's Kitchen, which is Gordon Ramsay. Is Kitchen Nightmares though the one where he goes restaurant to restaurant in Britain? Yeah. And, yeah. So he did. Yeah, that one's he great. Did three shows in a row that are kind of the same premise. Um, Kitchen Nightmares is the original. They did it. What they did a series of it in the UK, and then they did like ten seasons of it on Fox in the U.S. And then he did another one called Hotel Hell, which was the exact same premise, but it was like bed and breakfast like hotels. And now he's doing um, the uh, the what's it called the um, twenty four hours to hell and back. Which is the exact same thing as Kitchen Nightmares, except he only has twenty four hours to do everything. I actually really like his the the Hell's Kitchen. I mean, aside from the obligatory, like every single episode, it seems like they do a commercial break and he goes, "It's raw," and he's throwing down some chicken down in a trash can. But you know, I I, I think it's pretty good. Actually, I, I you know his character, dis- besides being kind of a, a jackass most of the time, I kind of think that show shows his good sides too. So I think it's kind of a fun show. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, they all have that reality element of he's going to blow up at somebody, but they also have the reality <laughs> element of everyone loves him by the end. So I, I, I find it highly entertaining. He also had the uh, kids version. Did you see his, where he, it's oh, yeah. like, <laughs> it's what do you just mean, terrible. MasterChef Did Junior? He, is that what it is? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, because there's MasterChef, which is a different show than Hell's Kitchen, which right. is a competition for adults. And then there's MasterChef Junior. And MasterChef Junior is hilarious because the kids... It's horrifying. It, well, in a lot of ways, the kids are better than the adults are. And they're less competitive and cutthroat. Like, they help each other out because they're sweet little kids. And, like... <laughs> Gordon doesn't have to yell at them or say anything bad. He just has to tell them the truth. And that's enough to like get them crying. And, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like that's all it takes. It's like, you know, this wasn't your best today. 
<laughs> and you're like in the fetal position. Yeah. I can't. I mean, I've watched it because I like to torture myself with I such things. But it's so terrible. good. My kids love it too. Oh, it's it's good in a really bad way. Yeah, like, I wouldn't want to cook a cake for for Gordon. No yeah, but then they make them do the stupid like little tricks where they, you know, they cover Gordon in frosting or whatever. And yeah, it's just so <laughs> so stupid. Yeah, for the kid version. But I mean, there's I'm always keep watching, so <laughs> there's always some incentive where, like, if you win the challenge, you get to do something terrible to Gordon Ramsay. <laughs> Pay so. off enough. <laughs> Who needs they, cash prizes? They dump frosting and mayo and all kinds of stuff on him all the time. It's like a little bit of double dare snuck into your Master Chef Junior. It's <laughs> great. So Brooke suggested we watch the Way Way Back. Um, I had almost forgotten about this movie, but I actually <laughs> saw it before and I really really liked it. I used to recommend it to a lot of people back in 2013, 2014. Um, had any of you not seen it before? I had not. Okay. Well, what did you think, Josh? I was not a big fan, actually. Um, uh, it played a lot like meatballs to me, and I like meatballs yep. better. Um, but uh, by the end, it started winning me over right about as it was ending and um yeah uh, i didn't find any character likable except for tony collette um i really liked her performance a lot uh sam rockwell annoyed me which is not a thing he usually does in interesting movies. i usually yeah i'm usually a big fan but his shtick i just uh it was too much i wanted to tell him just just dial it down a little bit sam rockwell uh when he's giving the pep talk at the very end, when he gets serious and talks to the kid at the end, uh, I was finally like, there, there's Sam Rockwell. There's the one I love. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, uh, man, um, not, not my movie and coming of age movies are a hard sell for me anyway. Like very few of them. I think eighth grade is maybe the best one I've seen in the past 10 years. Um, so it, it it has to be really above and beyond to win me over as a as a coming of age movie. Nathan, how about you? Well, I'd seen it in the theater, and then I think I watched it one more time, like after it came out on streaming, right after, and then quickly forgot all about it. Um, kind of like you, probably. I I I like it. I think it's a good movie, but I also think it's got its problems. And I I'll be honest with you. Even this time, I was having a hard time pinning down exactly what it is that bugs me about it. I think some of it is Sam Rockwell's character talks so fast through chart parts of it that's kind of fo- hard to follow, and he's the only one that talks for a good chunk of the movie. Um, and then I kind of feel like it's a little hard for me to believe Steve Carell as that jackass. I think that's the other thing. It kind of, cause he, I've seen him in the office so much and he never plays, uh, you know, he always, he's always the guy with a golden heart, you know, and it's a little hard for me to see him as an asshole, but he does it. Okay. It's not that he does a bad job, but he, he's having a hard time get, escaping his other characters. I think like uh, Tom Hanks and road to perdition, like Tom Hanks. Period. Yeah. A little bit. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he can play one one nice guy. Like I, I mean, I talk about how much I hate that movie, uh, the Bridge of Spies, 
because mm-hmm. the whole movie is based around you being worried about Tom Hanks getting killed by spies. It's <laughs> like Tom yeah. Hanks is going to be fine. <laughs> I think if anything, I, 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 what maybe bugs me more than anything is that it kind of wastes a couple of actors and actresses that I think they could have had a lot more to do, especially Maya Rudolph. She's so good. Um, she's good in this role, but it's just, it didn't give her a lot to do. It could have almost been anybody in that role. Um, and Tony Collette, I mean, she kind of brings the ending up like Josh said, I mean, and that's kind of what makes the heart of the movie kind of shine at the end there. Um, but she doesn't have a lot to do except look pitiful for most of the movie. Yeah. So my take on rewatching it was a little bit different than my take on watching it the first time. I am a unabashed Sam Rockwell fan. Um, every minute that he's on screen is gold. I absolutely <laughs> love him in this. I love his character. Um, I love him being the guy with not a care in the world. I think it's interesting that he's playing that character with you know, the not a care in the world thing, but he's also... Um, there's the sort of it, 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 it's not a big part of the plot, but there's sort of the whole like he needs he needs to get his shit together or he's gonna lose Maya Rudolph's character. So there's a little a little bit of adulting that he has to deal with, um, besides just being Mr. Mr. Party all the time. Um watching it again, I also remember that I thought Steve Carell did a good job playing against type. Um and this was before Foxcatcher came out, where he played just a stone cold uh, villain. Um, so I thought he did a good job. My read on it this time, being kind of removed from it, and um, and knowing how the story goes and how things play out, I think what's what's off about the movie, what feels weird and and janky about it, is that it's completely populated with comedic actors, right? These are all people that can make you laugh. It's got, um, we've already mentioned a bunch of them, but then we also didn't mention like Amanda Pete is in it. Um, there's obviously Tony Collette, Steve Carell, Rob Sam Cordry, Rockwell, Rod Cordry, um, who, and, and none of them are really playing type so much. Um, we also haven't mentioned Alice and Janney, who I think might be the only like consistently funny character in the movie. Like she's always saying the wrong thing and always being silly and ridiculous. Um, but it makes the whole movie feel like it's way more serious than it is or than it needs to feel. Um, the dramatic beats are seem lower than if there had been a little bit more of a fun thing going on. And so there's the whole subplot about Steve Carell, maybe sort of hooking up with Amanda Pete's character again, that has a whole lot of gravity to it in this comedy drama coming of age movie. Um, And, you know, like you said, uh, I don't feel like it's that they didn't give Maya Rudolph anything to do. It's that she doesn't have any jokes She's the straight man for Sam Rockwell in those scenes. And the main kid is just a blank slate. There is nothing yes. going on there. <laughs> so. And the drama itself is kind of low st- stakes. I mean, there's not, I mean, aside from someone's cheating on Tony, 
Okay. Which I makes mean... you feel like, which makes you feel like the way that they're treating this tone, like you're constantly waiting for what's when's the other shoe going to drop. When's the horrible thing going to take place that like changes everything and it really doesn't happen. And then the movie kind of comes to a natural conclusion and then it tacks on an extra 15 minutes so they can go down (laughs) the slide and Sam Rockwell can confront Steve Carell and it's like, okay. I mean, there's like a little fantasy section there at the end. Um, but um, so, I mean, I guess I liked it a little bit less than I liked it before when I saw it. Um, I'm still going to stand for Sam Rockwell all the way, though. <laughs> so that brings us to Brooke. What did you why did you suggest it and what do you like about it? I had actually not seen it since the first time I saw it when it came out, whatever year that was. Um, what was it, 2016 2014. 2014, yes. 2013. Yeah, so it had been a while. Uh, for some reason, it just came to mind because I wanted something a little more light. I remembered really, I really liked it at the time, but Dale, my, my view is very similar to yours, that I did like it a little bit less on rewatch. I, there wasn't a lot happening. Uh, I didn't really remember much about it. I'm known for not remembering (laughs) anything that I've watched, which makes everything new. Uh, You know, it's just a very quiet movie, not a lot really happening, but I don't know. It was just a very simple story. Um, So, yeah, I was a little bit disappointed on rewatch, but I still really think it's a solid, solid film. I agree. Sam Rockwell, I'm with Dale on Sam Rockwell. I actually really liked him in this. The Maya Rudolph thing, I actually... I think this was one of her more likable performances that I've seen in that she's not on, you know, so much of the time she's just on, she was natural and I love Maya Rudolph, but she's, she can be very sticky. Um, Yeah. I thought thought she was, yeah. And she was, it was a natural solid performance from her. I wish she was used more. I agree with that, but, um, but uh, you know, it had its solid points, but the Steve Carell thing, you know, I watched him in the morning show on Apple TV, and he he is he plays that same kind of guy in the morning show. I thought he was really solid in this, you know, stepdad who seems like the nice guy, but is a complete douchebag to the kid when nobody's really looking and just kind of nitpicks at the stepson. And, well, not official stepson, but uh, I I thought he was was great at that. I really thought he was one of the more solid pieces of it. Yeah, something I picked up on this time that I hadn't before was that um, somebody kind of outs Steve Carell as being a used car salesman. And that was really interesting to me. It's like, oh, he's trying to like pretend that he's some big shot in front of this kid and his girlfriend, but he's a used car salesman and he drives a 1970 Cherry Buick S. Uh, whatever the hell that thing's called, the Buick Estate. It's a 1970 <laughs> Buick Estate in cherry condition. <laughs> yeah, right. There's little pieces that connect to what kind of guy he really is and yeah. that he's just, you know, he has a lot more ego than than he really warrants. Yeah. So I, I thought that was interesting. Um, they said that the actual idea for the movie or the whole movie came out of the opening scene um that's the reason why it's called the way way back is that that car has that extra like rear facing seat in it Mm -hmm. those old giant buicks had that and uh they had that whole conversation about you know you're a three 
Um, and I guess the people that made it said that it was based on like a real conversation that they had had with their stepdad. So, so this was the follow-up to the descendants, right? For, uh, uh, Jim Dash and Nat Faxon. Sounds right. Okay. That's right. And then both of them were in it too. So, uh, I thought they gave themselves some pretty decent parts. I wonder which one's childhood was that jacked up though, <laughs> or both of them. Which one is the uh, the guy that was like in charge of the top of the water slide? Matt Faxon. Okay. I see that guy every once in a while in movies, and I think it's really funny because I know a rapper guy from St. Louis who looks exactly like him. <laughs> so I'm always like, oh, there's, there's that guy again. <laughs> huh. Well... Can I talk for a second about the main kid? <laughs> how how he went from like unlikably sluggish to like unlikably confrontational? Like I don't I I feel like his arc was just from one end of no thank you to another for me. Um, <laughs> did did anybody like this kid at any point in the no. movie? Okay. I didn't dislike him, but I mean, my feelings aren't as strongly as yours. But. <laughs> I, I, I don't and I usually know hate how, child actors. I don't know how he got that girl to even right? think about talking to him. That doesn't make any sense to me at all. The girl and Sam Rockwell. What did they see in this kid where they're like, yes, that yeah. I want that in my life. You know? Well, I, I fully believe Sam Rockwell's character could have seen himself in that kid. But the girl, I don't get it all. <laughs> I don't think she had a whole lot of options. Out there on the island. She wanted to save him. She wanted to save him. (laughs) And she really was like (laughs) only interested in once he became unavailable. Like once they were leaving, then she was like, you just surprised me before is all. (laughs) Uh Poor kid. Maybe we'll see you next summer. So what you're saying is he's a three. That's what you're saying. (laughs) <laughs> yeah i was expecting there to be some sort of arc for the uh, steve carell's daughter character too because she was pretty awful through the beginning of the movie i thought at some point they would have something to redeem her a little bit and they didn't even come close because uh, she's awful like her father i think is what we're yeah maybe yeah um i don't know how much of the kid is in the performance and in how much of it's in the writing um, for it, but he is just like he—he's just a, a an audience surrogate to kind of walk us through this world, and then get mad that the guy's cheating on his mom, and then <laughs> whatever you know. Um, it, it do was you guys very think strange. if a if a different actor had played that part, do you think it's a casting issue that if it was maybe in more capable hands, would you have found it? I think, you the, think that's the problem. It's possible that if they had somebody with more charisma in that part, yes. it would have made a yeah. difference. Um, yeah. I mean, I couldn't tell you like, you know, like definitely if it were Finn Wolfhard, it would have been awesome. <laughs> Cause it's still, I mean, the character's still written the way he's written. But I just think somebody who has a couple of more expressions um, <laughs> maybe has like a, a sarcastic smile 
once in a while for what Sam Rockwell's saying instead of just totally like acting like a vegetable next to him. Um, that could have helped his character a bit. Yeah. I think the screenplay probably could have used a lot of doctoring to kind of bring up all the characters across the board just a little bit. Um, but yeah, his character probably did his act. The, the actor didn't help, but I feel like the actors in the other roles kind of brought the screenplay up a little bit, whereas he didn't. Yeah, have I think they do that. That's the thing. Like, I think they cast this movie thinking we have a stellar lineup of comedic actors. This movie's going to be funny because they're all so awesome in it. And like, really, Alice and Janney, Sam Rockwell, and that's kind of it. Get the funny jokes. Like the rest of them are just sort of there. Like Rob Cordry is like way turned. Like he's he's turned down to like two for Rob <laughs> Cordry. Yeah, I want to see an Alice and Janney uh, Tony Collette uh, remake of like or sequel or something to. Uh, uh, what, the one where the car goes over the hill with the two women. Doman Louise. Doman Louise. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that would have been a lot better if I could remember the name of the movie right out the gate. But yeah, I, I want to see them, could... those two. I want to see those two in a movie. Yeah, do something. I I want a whole like Netflix series about Juno's parents, Alice <laughs> <laughs> and Janney, yeah. and uh, the guy from Whiplash, J.K. Simmons. <laughs> Yeah. You could sell that idea easily. That would be so good. It would be so freaking good. Um, but yeah, like, and Alice and Janney, like, with her, I felt like even the way she's she's written to be an annoying bitch, right? Like that's those are the lines, but because mm. it's Alice and yeah. Janney, she makes it work, and you laugh at her because of who she is. Um, because of what you've seen her in before. Um, Tony Collette can be funny, but that's not the role here. Steve Carell can be funny. That's not his role here. You know? And it's like, I think they've, it's weird. Like it almost feels like they were worried that if you, if you laughed with any of the characters that you're supposed to dislike at all, that it would undermine the idea that you're supposed to dislike them like if steve carell was funny and cracking jokes the whole way through but every time he was alone with the kid he was a dick like that still could have worked you know what i think part of the issue was with them not really knowing how to do the balance of the drama and the comedy and how to play it they had done the descendants before this uh, Jim Rash and Nat Faxon, they wrote The Descendants, which was nominated for a bunch of Oscars, and it had that really good play. Was that really before this or play. after this? It was before. before. Okay. Yeah. So they'd had, you know, it had, that movie did have a really good balance of both, and almost, you know, thinking about it, it almost seems like they were trying to replicate that in a very similar way yeah. and just kind of missed the mark. Maybe they were just trying to hit that same balance and maybe just undershot it, maybe. I wonder if this one was already in the can before The Descendants kind of took off popularity-wise. I think The Descendants earned them this movie because I think 
I don't think they directed anything together before this. Um, didn't it win Best Screenplay, maybe, or not? It was nominated. I don't remember okay. if it won. Yeah, I feel like that made oh. them, and then they made this. Yeah. yeah, yeah, because this seems more like a little bit of a passion project, especially knowing that they were referencing their own childhood, and you know, this was more of a sentimental thing for them. Right. Uh, definitely has more of that feel that it was something cathartic to do rather than, you know, to make a quality film like they did with <laughs> Descendants. Which, I mean, I liked it, don't get me wrong, but it's not the same level, of course. Yeah, they released uh, a movie this year called Downhill with huh. Will Ferrell and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. Uh, the Force Majeure remake. Oh, is that them? Okay. And I heard absolutely nothing good about that movie. <laughs> right. Oh, really? Uh, of course. Will Ferrell went on Hot Ones to promote it. That's the only reason I know that <laughs> that movie exists. Um, Julia Louis-Dreyfus was supposed to be there as well, but she was sick, so she couldn't make the show. That was the only like press that I saw about it, and uh, it. Uh, I mean, it has a forty-nine on Metacritic. So, <laughs> I mean, it's it's a remake of a French film that I don't think was very popular to begin with. Um, oh, Force Majeure is really good. It's yeah, I it's saw one, that one. It's it's worth watching. Okay. Wouldn't they just write their own movie? The I way way did back. You, did they you wrote like the way way back and you didn't like it? <laughs> Do what? Brooke, did you did you like Force Majeure? I did. I did like the yeah. original. Yeah, I haven't seen Downhill their version, but yeah, I did. What did you think of it, Nathan? Oh, Force Majeure. I haven't seen Downhill, um, but the Force Majeure. It's it kind of catches you off guard because it's it's a little. It, it's very subtle in what it does. Um, if for, for those that don't know, it's it's basically about a couple that goes up and they're doing a, a winter skiing event, and then an avalanche happens, and basically one of the two uh, spouses kind of doesn't do anything to protect the other one, and it starts this whole like really subtle. Uh, snippy fight that happens throughout the rest of the movie, and it's really tense. It's it's pretty well done. Yeah, interesting. I feel like it might be sla- a little slapsticky. That's why I'm wondering how downhill is in comparison. Because what I liked about Force Majeure is the subtlety of it and how it just is kind of this undercurrent. Whereas I'm sure I can't with imagine Will Ferrell. Will Ferrell. Ah! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's not there's not any subtlety there. So yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's a strange, strange deal. I mean, it's like a, you know, if you want to see Steve Carell play a villain before Foxcatcher, this is, this is there. Um, it really does have that meatballs feel without being as funny as meatballs. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the one scene at the top of the water slide that probably doesn't play as well in 2020 as it did in 2014. <laughs> Very problematic, yeah. <laughs> and times have hold. changed. And you're ready to hold, holding. Take a step back. Take a step forward. Stop. Hold. It took me a while. I forgot the kid was listening to music in earbuds at the very beginning. Yeah. So 
for a minute, I was like, what decade is this set in? Because it was the car from, it looked like the one from National Lampoon's Vacation. Yeah. Um, and then all the music at the first, like, 20 minutes was 80s music. Um, except maybe what he was listening to on his earbuds. But, like, Ario Speedwagon and Curia Lace and stuff like that. Um Mm-hmm. So I was in Pac-Man in the arcade, you know, in the pizza place. So I was like, when is this effing movie happening? And then I finally, I was like, okay, okay, there's a cell phone. That girl's got a cell phone. It's a modern movie. All right. Um, well, and weirdly, he doesn't have a cell phone. Right? Right? And he disappears yeah. all the time. Yeah. No, I kind of agree on that. It was very confusing. It's it's like they kept kept forgetting what decade they had the movie set in. I <laughs> I noticed that too. Well, like some of them are dressed like it's the 80s. Some of them are not. It just didn't <laughs> quite hash out. Yeah. The only reason I knew was because when they drive through town, that very first few scenes, it's all modern cars around them. So I, I had to kind of almost say, I, I asked the same question. I was like, did they just like cheap out on the other cars and decide <laughs> to set it in the 70s? But yeah. yeah. I looked into it. You can you can buy a 1970 uh, Buick <laughs> estate if you really want to, um, and but, we all do. Uh, sure, yeah. I was thinking about it, um, yeah. but to get it up to the level of polish that it was in that movie, like you'd be rebuilding it from scratch because <laughs> it's a 19 it's a 50 year old Buick. Like, what do you think it's going to look like? <laughs> the seats are all like eaten away. All the in, indoors in uh, interior stuff is all eaten away. You know, the paint's all gone on the hood, and they all look like trash. <laughs> the Sounds op- great. You open the hood and look at the engine, and you're like, "Really? <laughs> this is an engine? <laughs> Just looks like somebody <laughs> threw a bunch of wires into a into a pit." <laughs> I drive a 21-year-old Buick, and I can vouch so that it, it looks like shit. So, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Those are not built to so, last. So cherry, man. So cherry. <laughs> <laughs> Buicks are, are officially the last car that you buy. <laughs> They're for old men to drive once a week to get coffee at McDonald's with the other remaining 80-year-old men and... <laughs> Or the first car that your grandmother gives you when she can no longer drive, yeah. in my case. <laughs> exactly. That's exactly how I got me my Buick. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Buick is for, for people who are about to become ghosts. <laughs> at which point they this get a Buick. <laughs> oh, wow. Good job. That's great. This episode brought to you by <laughs> Buick. <laughs> Picture yourself in a Buick. <laughs> Picture yourself in a coffin. <laughs> That's what it's like. It's got the same like, same like velvety, foldy, <laughs> covered sides. And this has been the deeply disgusting movie podcast. <laughs> Thanks everybody for talking with me. Thanks everybody for listening. We will see you on the next episode. Thank you.